A table. What significance could a table ever have? It's the place where most of us eat, do our homework, or have our morning coffee. But what if your table is more than that? What if it were your most valuable tool in the spiritual life of your home? In the book of Acts, the table was the place the church first gathered. It was where they had personal connection and took communion. The church was never meant to only happen at a building. It was meant to be in a home surrounded by families, coworkers, and neighbors. We are not called to simply go to church. We are called to be the church. We are called to be a church around the table. Good morning. Everybody doing all right today? You enjoying this 9.15 time? You enjoying this, this uh, two services situation? Well, you enjoy it today because it's over. Um, this is our last Sunday of two services forever. I don't know. We'll go back if we need to. I don't care too much about it. Um, but, uh, but we definitely feel like this is the step we're supposed to take for a, a number of reasons. Um, and again, it's mostly your fault more than our fault. Um, because you keep showing up and bringing friends. But that's a great thing. It's wonderful. But we do feel like the Lord not only wants us to, you know, manage what has already happened with parking and children's in particular, um, but also to make a little more room for some people that maybe don't know him. And so you do have a job to bring more people, um, especially to the 1130 service. So go out there. This is your call. Go out there and find the 1130 people in our world. And in our city, and bring them. If you find a 10 a.m. person, do not bring them. There are a lot of great churches with the 10 a.m. service. Go and send them there, right? You know? Um, but if you find an 11.30 person, we, we are all about, yeah. Um, uh, or an 8.30 person probably might be okay too. But anyways, um, our service times are 8.30, 10 a.m., and 11.30. And some of you, it's awesome. Thanks for practicing this Sunday for next Sunday. You know, you came at 8.30 and um, we got to hang out a little bit. That was cool. Um, but so next Sunday, it's official. It's real. It's on 8.30. There's another one and 11.30. Okay? <laughs> 8.30 and 11.30 are our service times. Okay? Okay? And, uh, and as always, if, you, if, you, if you're really kind of saying, hey, this church is my church. This is my family. Um, and you're able to um, pitch in, maybe, maybe you come to one service and then you are able to pitch in around here with children's or some of the ushering or some of the hospitality and other things that we got going on. We really appreciate it. Um, that would be a wonderful way for you to get to know some other people, get plugged in, but it also help us as a whole. So who are we looking for? 1130 people. Very good. Nah, no 10 a.m. people. Okay, um, we are in a sermon series called Church Around the Table. If you want to turn to John 13, that'd be great. My name is David Stockton, just in case you don't know. I'm a pastor around here, and uh, I really do love to talk about Jesus and share his word. Um, it's just had such an impact in my life, and I love to see what it does in other people's lives as well. Um, church Around the Table. Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry to all the ASU fans also. That was, a, that was a rough one last night. Any Colorado fans in here? Come, no. Really? Right after that, just right after the sorry, the woo. 
We'll work on that. We'll work on that. This message will convict you probably um, if I do my job. <laughs> All right, so last week we introduced the idea of church around the table, and I'm supposed to get to the book of Acts. I'm supposed to start talking to you about the table and all these things, but I just, I can't, I can't. I, last week I just started saying, I was looking at Jesus' life and I was like, man, we got to go back. We got to go back and really get this church thing figured out. We spent the whole uh, last couple of months in the book of Ephesians trying to get Paul's um, inspired um, vision of the church as, as, as it was in the first century when it was really just an underground, persecuted, not going to make it type thing. And yet he had this grand vision, and if he could see the church today around the world, I'm sure Paul would just be dancing a, some sort of jig or whatever they did back then. Um, it's really been amazing what the church is, and uh, we talked a lot about how the church is not the organizations that call themselves church. Like Living Streams Church it is not the church. Living Streams is an organization that hopefully is a, is a good house for the organism of the church. Jesus is the head of the organism, which is the people who are actually following and practicing the way of Christ. People who are living in the light of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. People who have seen that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection actually left a way for us through this confusing, consequential maze we call life. And they're doing their best to walk in this thing. That is what the church is. That's all it is. Living Streams is hopefully just, okay, like, you're following the lay. We're, we're like one of those tables that has orange slices and a little bit of Gatorade. And we're just here. And so you're following the lay, and we're like, all right, come on, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. Go, go, man. Go, man. Go, man. Go, man. That's all, the, that's all Living Streams is. It's just a little table by the side of the way trying to help people get a little further down. And maybe if you need to rest a little while, that's fine. But then eventually we're going to be like, you got to stop resting, man. Get back on the way. Get down the road. And that doesn't mean you got to go to other churches every week or whatever. But, um, but that's, all, that's all this is. It's, it's, just, it's just supposed to be a help. And the organization has been helpful at times. And it's been absolutely horrible to the organism of the church. But Jesus died for the organism. He died for the people. He calls that his bride. Living Streams is not his bride. It's just an organization. Are we getting that? I mean, I've said that a lot now, so if you're not getting that, it's just not going to work at this point. But anyways, church is not what Christians do as far as a Sunday morning Living Streams context. Church is just supposed to help Christians do what they're supposed to do. And it can happen in here. No doubt about it. And it does happen in here. Most of, the re most of the reason you're here is not because Living Streams does something to you, but when you're here, the house of Living Streams is a good place to find the Spirit of God. And heaven and earth does feel a little bit closer together here, hopefully. And church can happen here, but then church is supposed to happen outside these walls very importantly. I mean, Jesus said he would rather us leave the 99 and go after the one. Like, that's a priority. So really, church should happen outside these walls more so than inside these walls. That's kind of what we're trying to get to. And Jesus lived that way perfectly. We talked about last week how Jesus had church in a, in a, in a dirty man's boat. And, and he was there, and he was sharing with the crowd in Peter's boat. It was just Simon at that point. And Simon, at the end of Jesus' little talk with the people, says, you got to get away from me because I'm a dirty man. And Jesus looked at him and said, hey, if you will follow my path, I will take you from being a dirty fisher man, and I will make you into something beautiful that will actually catch men. 
And sure enough, we got to watch that story unfold. Three years later, Peter is sitting in a room around a table with Jesus, and Jesus is basically saying the same thing to him. He's telling him what church is really about. And he hands out to all of those disciples there, and he said, this is what church, this is the new covenant. This is all it's ever been about. This is the economy of heaven. This is the only thing that really matters. This is what you were made for. And he breaks some bread and he passes it around and he said, this is my body given for you. And, and the disciples could probably understand what that meant even without the cross because they had been with Jesus for three years and watched him break off parts of his life for their own sake and for the sake of so many others, right? So that, that actually could have worked even without what happened the next day. And then he takes this, this cup and he says, this wine is, is a sign of the new covenant. This is forgiveness for you. And he hands it out to him, basically says, I'm being poured out for you. I'm being broken and given to you. I'm being poured out for you. And the message in that moment was definitely what we have done with it is, is a picture of what Jesus did on the cross. But that was just the, the final example. That was just the most important example. But Jesus had been breaking off his body and handing it to them and others. Jesus had been pouring out his blood and forgiveness all through his ministry already. You with me there? So when Jesus is doing this to his disciples, he's once again teaching them a lesson. Yes, and they're going to get that lesson once they see him, you know, die and rise from the dead. All of a sudden, finally, these dense disciples will be like, oh, so they still didn't quite get it. But the, the lesson that Jesus was saying was, I want you now to go and do what I have done for you for the world. Which means I want you to give them your body and your blood. Your body and your blood. Just as I have given body and blood to you, this covenant I'm making with you, this church that I'm birthing from you, is now every time you go into this world and you break off a piece of your life, sacrificially, and you pour out a part of your life sacrificially, that's when church happens. That's what church is. And I got to tell you guys about the guy with food stamps who was just caring for me, loving on me, so interested in my life, and then I watched him pay for groceries with food stamps one time, and he thought it was kind of an embarrassing thing, but honestly for me, it showed me a deep love because he would bought me stuff. He had taken me places. He had done things, and yet he was providing for his family on food stamps, and it was this kind of weird moment. And what I just felt was, man, he really loves me, and he opened up for me the love of Christ. He loved me in the way that Christ had loved him, sacrificially. He was breaking off body and blood for me, and it co compelled me to want to follow Jesus. And then I talked to you about the guy in the 15-passenger van and stealing the boat and all of that. And then we went on and we both basically said, you know, Jesus, you know, did this. We talked about Jan Tiranowski, how Pope John Paul remembers this apartment that, that of this tailor named Jan Tiranowski that he used to go to. And he said that, that he opened up his life to us and showed us the love of Christ. And it compelled this guy to become Pope, you know, so much so that he became Pope. It's a big deal. 
So that's kind of what we're talking about. So defining church. And, and I was like, okay, good. We got church defined. Now let's go to the table. But we, we, we can't go there yet and see how these guys practice. We got, we, we got to talk about Jesus some more. Are you okay with that? All right. So Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are these four um, preserved accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. You with me there? We call them the Gospels, for those who haven't been around church a lot. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's four of them. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have this Last Supper story. They all four have the Last Supper story, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they focus on the body and blood moment. But John, who talks also about the Last Supper in John 13, never once mentions the body and blood. Now, it could be that John wrote later, and so he's like, well, it's already in there in the other three accounts, so I don't need to reiterate it. But John does focus on a different element of what took place in that Last Supper, that first real moment of church around a table that so compelled those guys. And so I want to go there, John 13, and look at what John's perspective is. Now, John, we, all, we know he's a little out there. John would have been an awesome hippie. John is a little bit more spiritually inclined. John is like laying on Jesus' bosom, and he actually tells people about it. Um, so he's, he's just like he's a, he's a, he's feels, you know, he's emotional. He's like driven that way. And when you read his Gospels, and, and, or read his Gospel and then his other writings, he's just kind of wired that way, you know. But, it, but it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and he adds so much to it. Um, but this, this is who he is. So in John 13, it's, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them all the way to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up, having all the power and authority in heaven and earth. Now just think about that. Let's say you have all the power. Last night at the ASU game, they showed on the big jumbotron, you know, the, there was like the sun shot a little like solar flare down and it hit the desert and poof, out comes Sparky. <laughs> And Sparky, this little devil guy, and then he's like walking over Phoenix. He's like walking like this. There's big old, you know, haboob going behind him. And, and he's walking around, and he's got all this power and this pitchfork going on. And I, I don't remember what happened after that. Just they lost. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but just picture yourself being endowed with all the power. You've seen it in the movies. You know the bad guy's like, getting all the power, and then he does something stupid and dies. Whatever. But... But you, and he's got all the power. Now this is no joke. This is real God, real power, and all authority, all power has been put in his hands. And look what he does with it. Look, who knows John 13? Who knows what's going to happen? Okay, stop knowing what's going to happen for just a second, okay? Just let this be the first time you've ever heard this before. I know it's hard, but try it. He's got all the power. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Okay. After that, he poured water into a basin and parted it. No, he didn't. That's what I would have done. I totally read, ruined the moment there. I'm so sorry. Go back like 30 seconds ago. 
He poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This is what he did with all the power in all the universe. He got down on his hands and knees and he washed the disciples' feet. This is Jesus. This is God. This is why the Jews can't believe it and the Greeks think it's foolishness. Do you get that? What kind of God is this? And he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't, you don't understand what I'm doing. Just shut your mouth, basically what he's trying to say. But later you'll understand. And no, Peter said, you will never wash my feet. Jesus said, unless I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. Ay, ay, ay. Oy vey. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, Peter. Uh-oh. What was the first interaction between Jesus and Simon? I'm a dirty man. And now Jesus is saying, you're a clean man, Peter. You're a clean man. You've been washed. Yeah, your feet stink a little bit, but your whole body is clean, Peter. You know that now. You know that. Oh, what an amazing day that would be if we actually could believe we're clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, <laughs> Judas, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said, not every one of you is clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he said, do you understand what I have done for you? It's basically the question he's been asking from the very beginning. And he's never once got a very good answer. And now this is his last chance, his last night with him, he says, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and it's right, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is church. This is new covenant. This is the same story as the giving of body and blood, but the way John says it is you need to go around and you need to wash people. You need to wash people's feet. That's what the church really is supposed to do. We're supposed to go into this world and find all these people who are filthy and dirty from walking in this world and we're supposed to wash their feet with the love and forgiveness of Christ. We're supposed to invite people into our homes so they can sit at our tables and so we can wash their feet. We just had life groups launched this week, some 30-something groups, over 360 people, all getting together in homes outside this context. Hallelujah. How many of you washed 
their feet. I'm just kidding. I'm not trying to get a guilt trip on here. Like, if, if you knew Jesus, you would have, first thing, man, as soon as they walk in your door, you're like, bam, whip off the clothes, get down on the knee. Can I see your feet, ma'am, sir? Wash them with the towel. No, don't do that, okay? Don't do that. That's weird. I mean, yeah, Jesus knew these guys really well. And it's all guys in the room, and it's been three years, so maybe someday, but just don't do it. Don't do it. Don't be like, oh, that message, yeah, let's just do it. No, don't do it, okay? Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. But you can wash them in other ways, right? And I think you guys probably did. You loved on each other. You leaned into each other. You listened to their stories. And you pronounced blessing and encouragement. You allowed raw authenticity and relentless encouragement in biblical counsel and in the hopes of genuine friendship forming. I mean, that's what, that's, that's what we're going for. We're, doing, we're teaching on church around a table and we're practicing church around a table all at the same time. Because when we practice the way of Jesus, it changes us. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But do you see how beautiful this is? Do you see how amazing this is? Basically, to sum it up, Jesus says, give body and blood for the sake of others. That's what you're supposed to do as the church. Give love to others the same way that Christ loved you. And it's like, yes, so beautiful. Whoa. (laughs) Have you ever done that? Love somebody to the same degree that Christ has loved you? I don't know. Seek to wash and cleanse others instead of condemn others. Because that's what Jesus did. Those who were willing to admit they were unclean. The way Mother Teresa says it is spread love everywhere you go. Let no one ever come to you without leaving happier. Or what I would say is washed, rinsed, cleansed by the words that come out of your mouth and the love that comes out of your heart. This is, this is why it's so beautiful. This is why the Christian church is what it is today, because the movement is legit, <laughs> because they are the most woke people walking around this world. Now, we get it wrong from time to time. We add to it. We get a little squirrely. We start throwing in all kinds of others. No, no doubt about it. But this, is, this beauty is undeniable. That with the God of the universe, the one who made it all, created it all, and we jacked it all up. If you say jacked in church, I don't know. He comes and he, gets, he lives a perfect, cleanse, clean life. Sinless in every way. Tempted in every way, but sinless in every way. And then he's at this moment where he's endowed with all of the power. He is fully God, but he's never used or cheated by using any of those powers. And yet in this moment, he's so aware of exactly what this moment is. And what he chooses to do with all the power, all the righteousness, self-righteousness, that is actually true for him is he gets down underneath his disciples and he washes their dirty feet. Hallelujah. And in so doing what John got the message, John said, and basically then after that, he said, now blessed are you if you go and do this same thing. And so my question to you, us, is when's the last time you washed someone's feet? And I'm not just talking about shoes and socks and stuff. 
That, that's, what, that's what church around the table is. It's, it's just these moments where we wash people's feet. So last Sunday, I was talking about body and blood, and I mean, it sounds weird, but I learned a lot from that message. It sounds weird, but it, I mean, the Lord's teaching me. I don't know any of this stuff. I'm just like learning it, same time as you guys, maybe just a little ahead. And I was just so convicted and compelled by Jesus' message and all of that. And I was thinking, body and blood, body and blood, giving body and blood. And I knew that John 13 was kind of going this other direction with it. And I was just stirring on all of that. And I, was, I actually went home and I was like studying more. It was like, I just did the message. You don't have to study for the message anymore. But I was like, yes, I do. So I was just like chewing on it and studying myself and going, Lord, what are you saying? I need to get further in. And, and I just, I, it was my birthday, right? Thanks for all the happy birthdays and stuff, yeah. That's good. For the rest of you, no, just kidding. You don't need to, you don't need to say happy birthday to me ever. It's no problem. Um, I, I, just, I just really felt like um, I wanted to wash my family's feet. Like I, it, I wanted to. And don't think we're like a spiritual household. Like we don't, we're not that great at Bible studies. We just now are trying to get in this routine of Sunday night where we just, you know, sing a couple songs and pray a little bit. And my kids, you know, hate it most of the time. And then we hate them most of the time because of it. And so just don't get this picture. But this was, this was a good moment where for my birthday, I told them I want to wash their feet. And my wife was like, okay, like, we'll see how this goes because um, she's right. And, uh, and my girls were like, what, you know? Um, and uh, and our, our boys were actually with their siblings th- th- at this time. But... Um, we, I, I sat him down, I'd got, I didn't take my clothes off, I just got a bowl of, of warm water, and I got a towel, and, and, I, and I sat him down, and, and I washed their feet, and, you know, they were kind of a little giggly a little bit, but they held it together pretty good, and, and I was just kind of trying to tell them about what Jesus did, and how I just want to love them in the same way, and, and I, you, you could feel like, I think they were able to receive some of that. And then, and then my wife was like, well, we want to wash your feet. It's your birthday, so can we wash your feet? And so they all decided that they wanted to wash my feet. And, and I, could, I could feel, I felt washed and cared for and, and appreciated. Like, it, w- it was just this moment where I, w- I was just expecting, I was just trying to practice something, not really having much expectation. Um, but there was just this little bit of moment, and I think we kind of had church around a table, church around a, a bowl of warm water. In this moment, and it, it was it was precious, and I was so thankful for it. Um, and then even this morning, just kind of living on that same like, okay, Lord, how can we? We were downstairs, and I had I had three kids with me. Uh, I live in a weird situation. A couple nephews and a foster boy, all like they're with me, and we're downstairs, and the whole team's praying and worshiping, getting ready for this, and. And uh, I was just there, and my mind's on a thousand things. We got a Belize men's retreat barbecue afterwards, and so I'm like stressing about that, you know. Um, I'm my message, all, just everything in my mind, and I just felt like the Lord was like, right now. So I got up and I walked behind the boys that were sitting there, just like you know they're being good, but they're just like these people are always singing all the time, you know, I don't know what they're thinking, that's what I'm thinking, they're thinking, but I just go behind them, and I just put my hands on the shoulders of the first one, he's like tensed up, like, what is happening, and I just prayed a prayer of blessing in his ear, and then I went to the next one, and prayed, and I don't know what it meant to them at all, but I mean, I just could, I just felt like I was being filled with the love of God for them, as I was trying to love them, does that make sense, 
It was like I was practicing the way of Jesus and I was being filled with the spirit of Jesus. And that might sound really weird to you, but those of you who know what I'm talking about, it's not weird. It's very natural and it's actually beautiful. And, and so, you know, there, there's this love that God is wanting us to do that we're supposed to love our spouse the same way that Christ loved Husbands used to love your wives the same way Christ loved you and laid his life down for you. You see that there's the same image. I mean, this is what cultivated and motivated this, this first church experience. Paul was like, you should forgive one another. Why? Because God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Like, he, this, this, is, this was kind of the crux of their operation. It was their mission and vision statement. <laughs> that we're supposed to love in the way that Christ loved us. And I, all I could think is, that's impossible. Not because my wife's hard. I mean, she's awesome. But because I'm bad at stuff. And so I've just been also at the same time so compelled by the beauty of this vision and so overwhelmed going, how am I going to live into this thing? I could think of a thousand times I got it wrong and I had to work really hard to give you two good examples. And then there's the rest of today, you know, and tomorrow and all of that. But I, I want us to just know that Jesus understands that. And he taught them and pointed them in this direction. But then if you go into John 14, 15, 16, and 17, you find the how. And we don't have time to go through all of it, but in John 14, I just want to read one verse to you. This is Jesus' plan for how. For how you could love others in the way that he loved you, including, if you notice, Jesus, Jesus washed all his disciples' feet, all 12 of them. Do you get what I'm saying? He washed Judas's feet, knowing that the devil was already in him to betray him. He got down on his knees with all the power, and he picked up Judas's feet, and he rubbed those feet, and he cleansed those feet. And probably prayed, Father, if there's any other way, let him know your love. And he washed his feet. So I'm not, I mean, loving your kids, loving your wife, loving your friends, loving your coworkers, loving your enemies, your true, loving those that have absolutely betrayed you. Is this heavy, awesome, beautiful call. So how is it possible? John 14 Verse 15, John 14 is the very next chapter. And if you, I mean, in the life groups, if you want to kind of unpack the the main points of 14, 15, 16, and 17 of how Jesus said, okay, this is how it's going to work out. You you can do that, whatever. But um, John 14, to sum it up, it says this in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. And what's his commands? That you will love others in the same way that he has loved you. Bam, done. Too heavy too beautiful. If you will do this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate or helper to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you, helping you to see the vision and he will be in you, helping you walk 
in the way of that vision. That's it. There's no other tricks. You don't got to climb a mountain, stare at your belly button, do anything else. You just have to take your step in the way, in the direction of the commands of God in your life. And Jesus will ask the Father and he will give you help, a helper, the spirit of truth. The world can't receive him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you. He's the one that's kind of giving you that come compelling. He's the one that's giving you that conviction. He's the one that's opening your mind to see this way. But then he will be in you to empower you to walk in. In Acts chapter one, Jesus rise from the dead. He's sitting with his disciples. They all, there's only, John was the only one that was at the cross. The rest of them all were just out of there. Forget it. This Jesus thing didn't work. He's dead. And now they're all out fishing again, fishing for fish. And Jesus comes up on the shore and he has a little time with them. But in Acts chapter 1, he's with them and he says, hey, I'm, I'm going to leave like I told you I would, but this time I'm not coming back. But I want you to go and wait. Go in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. For when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be empowered to be my witnesses. You will be empowered to walk in the way and everyone else will watch you walk in the way and think, huh, I need to learn Jesus' way. I need to know about Jesus. It's the spirit that empowers us towards this beautiful end. And like I just explained to you, how practical is it? I was not feeling it. I'm a little tired. I'm, my mind's all a blur of things. And I feel like the Lord's saying right now, wash someone's feet. Give some body and blood. It's like, man, these are all church people. And I was like, wait, those three dudes right behind me. I don't know what's going on with them. So I just walked back. And like I said, I stepped into the commands of the Lord. I said, okay, I'll try. And, and, I, and I'm going to fail. But then as I was doing it, it was, I, was, I was being filled with love. That didn't come from my own tank. It came from somewhere else. And I was able to pray these genuine prayers. I really was praying these prayers. I wanted to see these things happen for these three boys. And I got filled with Jesus just in that little moment, and maybe they got a little splash. I don't know. I'll ask them later. They'll probably just, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. But that's just a, it's just a little way it works out. When you lean in, the Spirit empowers. Um, we got a lot more to come in the next few weeks at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. <laughs> um, but right now, we're just going to spend a little time waiting on the, on the Father to give the Holy Spirit, waiting on the promise of the Father. We're going to have the ushers come forward now, and they'll pass out the, the bread and the cup, and we'll have this time of once again teaching ourselves in the way that Jesus taught his disciples, once again remembering and being compelled by the love of Christ who gave body and blood for us, who just spit in his face, who so often has, have chosen sin instead of his way. And so as you get this, this piece of bread and this cup, just hold on to it and, and uh, we'll all take it together in the end. Thank you.
But this is definitely that time where we're going to try and get filled with the Spirit of God for the task that we have in front of us. And so be thinking, have you received the Spirit of God? Or not. And if you have received the Spirit of the God, how, how full is your tank? How full is your tank? And would you like Him to fill you again? Fill you afresh? Are you willing to make room to surrender things that are blocking? the filling of his spirit. Communion's a good time to confess those things, to do that transaction with the Lord. Give up your sin and your junk for his spirit and his power. a couple more things to mention just I really want to talk to the people in the room that maybe don't know where they're at with Christ I had a I had a friend come to church recently and he is someone that he's got a real critical mind and he's really sharp he's actually super smart and and still kind <laughs> and he came to church and um I knew that he's not a follower of Jesus and has, you know, at times been against things like that. And so I asked him afterwards, I was like, so how, how was it? And this is what he said. And this is for you that, that are at Living Streams and loving people well to encourage you. But this is also maybe where some of you are at. He said, I found myself wondering about how I could replicate, develop, or steal what seems like superpowers that you believers have. There's an obvious depth and value that I'm missing out on, so it made me want to figure out how to hack that in myself. And I love the honest, I mean, that's, this guy's mind is brilliant. He's, he's not pretending. He's saying, I, I see something. And what he sees is the Spirit of God empowering us and compelling us towards each other. And he's saying, yeah, I'm missing that. And I don't know if he's willing to surrender to Christ and make that move, but I thought it was pretty beautiful that he could recognize that. But some of you are in this room, and you can say the same thing if you're honest. This is your moment. It's never going to be easier than right now to receive Jesus in this room, in this moment. It'll only get harder. And I just want to encourage you to receive Jesus. We're all going to take communion now. We're all going to partake together. And basically, those of us who know Jesus, we're just once again saying, Jesus, more of you in our, in our lives. 
But if you're someone that has never made that decision, this is a great place to start. And if you're someone who doesn't want anything to do with Jesus, please don't take this. There's some verses about that that doesn't go good. But if you're someone who's saying, yes, I'm ready to receive Jesus for the first time, then you are more than welcome to partake with us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your body that you gave so freely to us, and we receive it now and ask for more of you in our lives. Let's take the bread. And Jesus, we thank you that you wash us and cleanse us by your blood, that perfect blood that was sacrificed for us. And we ask that you would cleanse us once again, Lord. Let's take the cup. Amen. Well, let's all stand. We're going to close with the song, and we're going to have people up front here that would love to pray for you to receive the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to be empowered with the Spirit, if that's the place you're at. And I sort of hope that a lot of people will come forward and receive this gift. Um, so if you're up for that, then you could come up at any time during the song, which make your way to the front, and uh, these people would love to pray for you, and then we'll dismiss after that.